Josh Haston here, Israel Uncensored, on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. It is Monday, the 21st of November, 2022, the 27th of Cheshvan, 5783, coming to you this morning from Jerusalem, the eternal capital of the state of Israel and the Jewish people, just outside the walls of the old city. Hope you are well, hope you are safe in your part of the world. We're going to get right into the news here this morning. Israel National News reported that Prime Minister-designate Benjamin Netanyahu spoke at the Republican Jewish Coalition political conference by video on Saturday night. During his address, Netanyahu called the disputes between the Israeli government and the, and the Biden administration, quote, within the family, and compared them to disputes Israel had with past Democratic and Republican administrations. He complimented, he also complimented former President Donald Trump. Donald Trump also addressed the conference. Netanyahu said, I was tremendously fortunate to have, finally, an American administration under President Trump who agreed with my policy on Iran and the prospect for peace with other countries in the Middle East, separate from the so-called peace process with the Palestinian Authority. Netanyahu said, and here's my focus, Netanyahu said that the PA is not interested in peace with Israel. Quote, the Palestinians don't want didn't want and don't want peace with Israel. They want a peace without Israel. They don't want a state next to Israel. They want a state instead of Israel. Since since that is the case, will Prime Minister Netanyahu continue to bolster the PA or try to dismantle the embezzling, freedom-denying terrorists in suits? For years, he let the PA stay put when he was Prime Minister before, despite the pay-for-slay program, and the incitement. Let's see what Netanyahu has planned this time around. Will he dismantle illegal Arab construction in Area C, where their goal is to take over strategic areas of land towards a state, or will he kick the can down the road? What will he do? Will he apply sovereignty over the Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria? Will he approve new building? Or are we going down a path where we have to keep things quiet because the world doesn't like it even if it's in Israel's interests, and even if Israel has the right to build throughout Judea and Samaria. We will have to wait and see. The government has not even been formed yet. Been formed yet. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, Times of Israel, speaking of pressure by the Biden administration, Times of Israel reported that a senior Biden administration official uh, visited Israel this week and urged security officials to advance steps to strengthen the Palestinian Authority amid growing concerns the PA is on the verge of collapse. An official familiar with the matter told TOI on Saturday. U.S. Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Israeli, that's a long title, for Israeli and Palestinian Affairs, Haiti Amar, A-M-R, delivered the message in several meetings with Israeli officials, including one with senior IDF Brass confirming a report on Channel 13. Uh, The U.S. official said that the United States expected Israel to move forward with previously pledged projects to improve Palestinian livelihood and strengthen the Palestinian economy, the official said. So the PA on the verge of collapse, according to this report, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But the goal remains to bolster the Palestinian Authority. That's the goal of the Biden administration. In other words, they want to continue strengthening these corrupt terrorists in suits who arrest journalists, who persecute minorities. They want to strengthen Mahmoud Abbas, 
who has millions of dollars, whose sons have millions of dollars in their bank accounts, thanks to the international community, money that should go to improve the lives of their people, but instead are going to line their pockets. The logic, of, of course, we've talked about this over the years, is we have to strengthen them or Hamas will take over. That's the logic. And then the logic becomes, well, we have to help Hamas in Gaza or the PIJ will take over. And then we'll say we have to help the PIJ or ISIS will take over. There's always like a terrorist organization that isn't as bad somehow as one that came before it. And I hate this game. I hate this game of there are worse terrorists out there. Fatah is bad enough. Let's take care of terrorists, whether they wear suits or not, whether they have beards or not, whether their colors are green or yellow or whatever color it is that these terror organizations subscribe to. Enough bolstering those who operate a pay-for-slave program. Enough ignoring those who incite to murder, even if that goes against a request from our ally, our greatest ally, the United States. Enough already. The Palestinian Authority, if it collapses, it collapses, okay? I don't think Hamas is worse. And you can argue, oh, well, we have security coordination with the PA. Security coordination basically means, what I understand, is that the IDF says to the PA, we are going to go in and step aside as we take care of the terrorists here. Maybe in certain cases the PA does something but, but it's ironic, like, you know, you had this lion's den terror organizations who turned themselves in. And what did the PA want to do? The PA wanted to incorporate them in their ranks. In other, ones want, in other words, one day they're terrorists who are trying to murder Jews on the roads. And the next day, they're within the PA fighting against terror. I highly doubt that, okay? I think, I think, it's, I think it's a joke. I think it's an absolute joke. I think the PA are a group of terrorists. And I would not be unhappy if the Palestinian Authority went away. But the U.S. administration wants to bolster them in any way, shape, or form. This is the Biden policy, always drawing a moral equivalency. You see the statements that come out after a terror attack. We need to take, both sides need to take steps to quell the violence and create an atmosphere of peace and security and quiet and all this other stuff, putting the criminals on the same plane, on the same level same moral level as those who seek to wipe out the terrorists, putting the IDF and the terrorists on the same playing field, the same level field, as if they're both morally equivalent. And that's what the administration in, in Washington is doing. You can see this on Twitter by the statements that come out after, God forbid, there's a terror attack. We need quiet here. We need both sides to stop, uh, stop the violence, right? Like the IDF really wants to be out in these villages having to deal with this stuff. And then they create this, well, so many X amount of so-called Palestinians have been killed as if these are innocent people who are just walking down the street and are murdered. That's not the case, but it is the case just last week when an Arab with a knife murdered two Israelis and then got in a car and ran over another Israeli, injuring another three seriously. There is no moral equivalence between terrorism and those who fight terror. And the Biden administration does not recognize that. Elections. We had elections. There's still no coalition at this point. The prime minister-elect Netanyahu has, I believe, another week to form a coalition. And then in addition to that, I think he's able to have another 14 days after that 
to put together a government. If not, then, you know, who knows what's going to happen, okay? Perhaps President Herzog will have to give somebody else the opportunity to form a government. I don't think we're going to get there. But right now, all the sides are jockeying for position, trying to obtain what they want in terms of ministries. So Israel Ayom reported that the Religious Zionist Party criticized the Biden administration on Wednesday after U.S. Ambassador to Israel Thomas Nides implicitly warned Israeli Prime Minister-elect Benjamin Netanyahu against appointing party head Betzal Smotrich as the next defense minister. So I gave you the state of affairs in terms of where we are. But once again, this article refers to the U.S. administration. Um, they essentially are criticizing the fact that perhaps Smotrich and Ben Gvir, Itamar Ben Gvir, will be given senior ministerial positions. The Religious Zionist Party said in a statement, it has a lot of respect and appreciation for our ally, the U.S. The Biden administration should also respect Israeli democracy, not interfere in the establishment of an elected government. And of course, I believe that. Nides, Ambassador Nides, told the Jewish insider, I'm not going to speculate over who will be the government or what our reaction will be when it happens, but what I do care about are those ministries that we have a very close interlocking relationship with, in particular the defense ministry. Smotrich has asked for either the finance ministry, which Shah's leader Arya Derry has also requested, or Smotrich wants the defense ministry. Most likely Netanyahu wants to give the defense ministry to a member of the Likud. So we have a deadlock, an apparent deadlock on which party head becomes which minister. Understandable. The prime minister does have a lot to consider. He has to take into consideration his own party. He also has to please the leaders of the other coalition parties. What bothers me here, again, is the U.S. intervening in an internal Israeli matter. Does the U.S. get involved in other countries and basically threaten them that they won't work with a certain minister? We're not even talking about the head of a country, but an internal minister based on the results of an Israeli, internal Israeli election. What right does the Biden administration have to make demands on Israel as to which partner can be what minister? The prime minister, Netanyahu, needs to say to the U.S., we are great friends, but you don't have the right to interfere when it comes to the decisions of the Israeli public or my decisions in doing what I think is best for the country. You don't like Smotrich, you don't like Ben Gvir, right? Okay? Maybe Netanyahu doesn't like, I don't know, U.S. Secretary of State Blinken or any other representatives. Maybe he doesn't like them. But does Netanyahu call up Biden and say, I'm not going to work with that representative? Does Israel have the chutzpah? Does any other country have the chutzpah to do that? What kind of baby does that? And I'm referring to the Biden administration. They need to stop their meddling. Maybe they should focus on the high gas prices in the U.S., the inflation, all these other issues, and let Israel govern itself, leave Israel alone, and stop with the threats of who we are going to work with, who we aren't going to work with. Enough is enough. It is called chutzpah, plain and simple. Okay? That's really what it is. And Israel needs to be strong, show strength, even against, even against the threats coming from an ally, the United States of America. I want to turn back now to the uh, RJC in Las Vegas over this weekend. The Jewish press reported that House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy on Saturday 
uh, on Saturday night told the RJC's annual conference, Republican Jewish Coalition in Las Vegas, that when he is elected Speaker of the House, uh, Representative Ilan Omar, the anti-Semite congresswoman, Democrat from Minnesota, would be ousted from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. McCarthy is expected to be the next Speaker of the House. The RJC's National Chairman, Senator Norm Coleman, and Executive Director Matt Brooks last week congratulated the GOP on flipping the U.S. House of Representatives. The RJC is gratified to have played a significant role in this victory, they said, executing decisive Jewish turnout efforts in key battleground districts in support of GOP candidates. According to the polls, um, the RJC says that GOP received 33% of the national Jewish vote, a historic achievement that further builds upon our efforts to move Jewish voters to the Republican Party. And notably, the GOP received a record 45% of the Jewish vote in Florida. So getting back to McCarthy here, he told RJC, we watch anti-Semitism grow, not just on our campuses, but we watch it grow in the halls of Congress, referring to um, Omar and, of course, the rest of the squad. Uh, McCarthy said, I promised you last year that as Speaker, she, uh, Omar, will no longer be on the foreign affairs and I'm keeping that promise. So let's see what happens. Let's see if, in fact, Ilyan Omar is ousted from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. We'll see if that comes, uh, if that bears any fruit. Here, locally, switching to uh, Israel, on the ground here in Israel, reported by JNS, Israel's coordinator for government activities in the territories, Judea and Samaria, Kogat, announced on Wednesday it will revoke hundreds of work permits of relatives of the Arab terrorists who murdered three Israeli civilians on, uh, in Ariel this past week, JNS citing a report by Israel National News. The terrorist was from a village near Shechem. He was shot dead by Israeli soldiers and armed civilians after murdering three Israelis. The decision to revoke the work permits was approved by Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz. According to the report, Israel has in the past revoked the work permits of around 3,000 relatives of terrorists who conducted attacks against Israeli civilians and security forces. The revocation of work permits creates economic pressure and is designed to deter future attacks. So what are the Israel haters saying? What are people saying? People are crying, this is collective punishment. It's collective punishment to take away work permits from the relatives of terrorists in some cases, who knew about their relatives' intentions of carrying out deadly attacks without informing authorities. So people say, again, this is collective punishment. But you know what real collective punishment is? Going to your car to fill up gas and having to look over your shoulder to make sure no one is trying to stab you. Because that's what happened in this last week's attack. People filling up gas in their cars near Ariel who were murdered. Trying to incite fear in a whole society that you may wake up in the morning with a knife and a car and go on a rampage trying to murder Jews, that creates collective punishment within the state of Israel because everyone has to worry about that. That's collective punishment. I'm all for necessary deterrence to thwart terror. We have to do it. Whether you like it or not, we have to create a deterrence to thwart terror. You have a society, the Palestinian Authority, where the leadership, the media, the education system incites to hate and violence. You have these funerals 
of the terrorists where the other terrorists shoot guns in the air, call for more attacks. Last week, I saw a mother on TV of one of these terrorists who Israel uh, killed, praising her son and saying now that he's going to have 72 versions in heaven. That's what she said. She didn't say, I mourn for, his, for the loss. I'm sad. She said, now he's going to heaven for 72 versions. These are the people Israel is dealing with. It's a whole society dedicated to spreading Jew hatred and Israel hatred. Is it every individual person? Of course not. But as a whole, the society is spreading Jew hatred. Just go back to the ADL's, what was it, 2014 um, list of, of the most anti-Semitic places, countries in the world, and the Palestinian Authority was at the top. So I have no problem with taking away permits of relatives as a deterrence. After a member of the family carried out an attack. Work permits in Israel proper in pre-1967. Israel aren't a right, they're a privilege. And preventing the next attack, God forbid, is a top priority. And I don't care if the woke cries over Israel's tactics. We must create a true deterrence. And I hope the next government... I hope that's the top priority of the next government to take a stand against terror, to come from a position of strength and to create a true and meaningful deterrence so that the would-be terrorist thinks twice and perhaps decides it's not worth it to try to murder Jews on any given day. That has to happen. And I hope this next government is the answer. This past Shabbat, Chaye Sarah, Parshat Chaye Sarah in Hebron, in Hebron, the city of our forefathers. The first purchase of Jewish property in the land of Israel in the Bible. It's recorded in the weekly Torah portion. And thousands, as per the custom, thousands gathered again this year to celebrate Shabbat in the second holy city in Judaism. However, uh, the Jewish press reports that the Mainstream media or the center-left media or whatnot distorted events, all right? There were violent or there were, I would say, limited limited uh, incidents of violence between Jews and Arabs. One incident with an IDF soldier. And, of course, attacking an IDF soldier, that should never happen. Ironically, the IDF soldier was from Hebron, uh, who apparently was accosted and assaulted by somebody not from Hebron. I mean, you have thousands and thousands of people. And the Jewish press says here, the security apparatus and the media that serves it went on overdrive following Shabbat Hebron events, focusing on a clash between a Jewish man and an IDF female soldier to tarnish. And here's, here's what I'm talking about. To tarnish, you have tens of thousands of Jews who assembled for an inspiring Shabbat of uniting the nation in the first biblical holy city, 30,000 people in Hebron and the media focuses on one specific event or several minor events. Here it says in the article, you know, considering how many violent clashes erupt during an outdoor concert or a soccer game with similar numbers, how is this even news? But it is news because it's Hebron and people want to paint the Jews of Hebron in a bad light and they want to paint Shabbat Chaye Sarah in a bad light. And they, want, they don't want Jews gathering in Hebron, our oldest city, because there are too many Arabs there or whatnot. I mean, that's ironic. You know, the left, they want equal rights and they talk about equal rights or whatnot. But since 1993, the, since we've gone down the path of so-called the uh, peace 
Accords since Oslo, relationships have gotten worse between Jews and Arabs because of the left and their idea of a separation and creating areas A, B, and C and having Jews on one side and Arabs on the other. They think that's the solution to peace somehow. When things were better, when there were no fences and walls and barricades and borders and all this other stuff. That's the irony of this. And of course, as the, uh, the Jewish press reports here, the media seizes, salivates over the minor, minor events. I saw on Twitter people were calling this a, what happened in Hebron between Jews and Arabs. They were labeling, labeling this a pogrom. How insulting to those Jews who were massacred in pogroms in Europe over 100 years ago. Those were real pogroms. All right, that was the policy to murder Jews. And here you have minor incidents, and you want to say, let's condemn them, let's condemn them, let's condemn these minor incidents. But in many cases, by the way, Arabs who threw rocks uh, at Jews and Jews who responded with force, okay, the, when the cameras were rolling, they only showed the Jews responding. Groups like Breaking the Silence and all these other hater groups, Israel hating groups, claimed to be, have the moral high ground. The cameras were only rolling when the response took place, but they didn't show what led to these incidents. They didn't show the Arabs throwing rocks at the Jews and the Jews standing up for themselves. All they showed was the Jewish response, and the media runs wild with it and creates this illusion that this was a violent Shabbat with 30,000 people and very few incidents, much less, as I just said before, as the Jewish press said, much less than in a, uh, at a soccer game or at a concert. Uh, our weekly anti-Semitism report here, JNS reports, two men arrested on Friday for allegedly plotting to attack Jewish targets in New York City were identified to taken into custody at Penn Station in Manhattan, reportedly armed with a large hunting knife. Authorities later seized a handgun, rounds of bullets, and a Nazi armband. So apparently there was going to be an attack on a Jewish synagogue or facility of some kind in New York. And this was thwarted. If you remember, I think it was a week or two ago, there was a also a, some sort of warning in the New Jersey area. Um, yeah, anti-Semitism in the U.S. It is on the rise big time. Uh, I tell those people, and a lot of people don't like to hear it, but I say, come home to Israel. I realize we have terror attacks here, but at least we have a 24-7 IDF the brave men and women, young men and women who are always, always out there uh, looking for the terrorists, thwarting many, many terror attacks. Um, so I'm telling you, I would get out of there, folks, honestly. And I, and I know people get insulted, but uh, come home to Israel, not just as, as a place to run away, but come home and build yourselves a Jewish life with your family here in the land of Israel. But the way things are shaping up over there, maybe, maybe people will run home to Israel. And at the end of the day, by, uh, by crook or by hook, is that how you say it? This is the place to be, and I hope everyone will come home. Uh, let's finish with two positive stories here. Ynet reports that Tamir and Raya Ashkenazi, a married couple from northern Israel, both donated a kidney to save lives one year apart. 
Tamir, a, log- a logistical director on a kibbutz, dedicated, sorry, decided to donate one of his kidneys last year. His wife, Raya, decided to follow suit and also donated one of her kidneys last week at Sheba Medical Center. IDF Major Aviv Vizman, who received Tamir's kidney, got to know him after the surgery and quickly became a close friend of the couple. Vizman is a father and is finishing a master's degree while serving in the IDF thanks to the kidney donation. So you have an Israeli couple, both of them donated kidneys. Uh, Raya requested to donate her kidney to a parent through the Matnat Chaim nonprofit organization. Uh, a physician at Sheba's organ transplant center, Dr. Ronen Jania uh, said, we have been, um, he said, this is the first time I'm, guiding a married couple donating a kidney these cases fill us with hope and it's thanks to them that we'll be able to save many lives so kola kavod as they say to the ashkenazi couple tamir and raya both donating a kidney one year apart imagine that unbelievable saving lives giving part of their bodies their kidneys to save lives here in israel unbelievable and one last story here. Of course, this is directed to the anti-Israel BDS haters. Um, Times of Israel reported yesterday that cancer patients are testing a medicine made of anti antibodies that were designed from scratch on a computer in Israel and whose inventor has programmed them to decide whether cells surrounding tumors are good or bad. If the trial, which is underway in Australia, goes according to plan, these antibodies will fight cells that help the tumor while boosting the abilities of cells that inhibit cancer growth. Again, this is above my uh, pay grade here to understand this stuff. But here you have uh, Professor Yanai Ofran from here in Israel developing this uh, new technology, um, whether it's uh, 3D printing technology in order to help um, to help these cells decide surrounding tumors whether they're good or bad tumors, whether they're dangerous or not. Israeli technology, the testing is in Australia, and if you're if this goes on the market and is used in your local hospital or whatnot, and again, don't understand it completely how this works, this medical technology, but I do see this as a breakthrough Israeli innovation in medicine which will one day perhaps be used all over the world if you're an anti-israel bds hater and you have some sort of disease if you have cancer or whatnot make sure they are not going to use this israeli antibody technology to to determine whether the tumors that you have are good or bad because then you would be a hypocrite don't use this go along and suffer on the side and keep your anti-Israel hate strong, stay strong, don't be a hypocrite, don't get involved in this 3D printing technology out of Israel, which fights cancer, bottom line. And uh, that's going to do it for today. My name is Josh Haston. This has been another edition of Israel Uncensored on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com for the 21st of November, 2022, the 27th of Feshvan 5783. Hope you're well. Hope you're safe and you're part of the world. Get in touch with me during the week, Josh at thelandofisrael.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. You can find me there. Thank you to Ben Bresky, engineer extraordinaire, Tabitha Epstein for everything she does behind the scenes. 
most importantly. Between now and when we speak again next week, please, God, everyone out there in the wonderful world of ours, be safe. Shalom, shalom from Jerusalem, just outside the walls of the old city, the eternal, indivisible capital of the state of Israel and the Jewish people. Have a great week, everybody. Every Sunday, join the Land of Israel Fellowship. This live interactive Zoom experience is hosted by Jeremy Gimpel and Ari Abramowitz with participants from around the world. To join, visit thelandofisrael.com slash fellowship.